Let's turn to another psalm today, Psalm 136, uh, Psalm of Thanksgiving. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be back in Galatians uh, next Sunday. Psalm 136, uh, it's, I don't know about you, but I at least feel this way. It's hard to believe Thanksgiving is upon us, but it's here. And uh, I told Kelsey in the car on the way here, I'm excited about it. I look forward to Thanksgiving. Um, It's a great holiday. I'm sure uh, all of us can give a list of reasons for, of things that we are, are thankful for. If we, if we were to go around uh, the room this morning, uh, I'm sure many of us could catalog reasons we have for being thankful to the Lord. For some of you, maybe it would be family. You're here today with family sitting beside you in the pew, and later this week you'll be with extended family. And uh, for many of us, that's a joy to be with those whom we love. Maybe for some of you, it would be uh, uh, your health. Some of us uh, have come through another year without any health complications. Others of us have come through the year with serious health complications. But here you are, God has brought you to another Thanksgiving, and you are grateful to the Lord for that. Maybe, maybe some of you uh, are thankful because uh, you've gone through a, a difficult year. You've gone through challenges uh, maybe relationally or some circumstance in your life, and, but God has seen you through it, and here you are ready to give thanks. You see, we could go around the room and there would be a, a long, long list of different reasons, but one thing is for sure, we all have things to be thankful for. But something I've thought about this week is it's, it's interesting that as we live in a culture that continues to carry on the tradition of thanksgiving and talks a lot about uh, what sort of things people are thankful for, it seems to me that we've forgotten that we are thankful to someone. That in order to be thankful means that everything, what we have, we have received as a gift from someone who has given it to us. And I think this, this psalm is crystal clear that as God's people, when we are thankful, we are thankful to someone. And so Psalm 136 reminds us not only of, as we'll see, reasons for thankfulness, but also the one to whom we are thankful, the God of heaven and earth and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the object of our thankfulness. Let me just say a couple of quick things here about this psalm before I read it. First of all, it's, it's antiphonal. Uh, that'll become obvious as, as we read it. In other words, it was written to be read or sung by two groups. So you can imagine the Levitical uh, choir leader reading the, the first part of the verse that declares something about God and the Levitical choir or the people, or both responding with the refrain for his steadfast love endures forever. And that happens 26 times in this psalm. 26 times something is said or declared about God, and 26 times the people respond with the refrain for his steadfast love endures forever. So friends, if repetition is a great teacher, then this psalm is driving home 
to our hearts the steadfast, committed, unending covenant love of God. Now, I'm the one who has to read this psalm (laughs) in a moment. And that refrain is a bit of a mouthful in English uh, for the steadfast love of the Lord uh, endures forever or for his steadfast love endures forever. It's, I think it's 10 syllables. You're all going to count in your minds now. Um, and by the end of it, I read it out loud this week and I, I felt like I had just finished singing the 12 days of Christmas. But um, in the Hebrew, that refrain is actually only six syllables. And so uh, one person has translated the refrain as, uh, for his love never ends, for his love never ends. And that gives you a sense of, you know, the, how this line was meant to be kind of punchy and punctuate uh, this psalm as God's people recited it together. And that is the thing that God is driving home to our hearts today as we look at this psalm and think about reasons we have for thankfulness, the chief reason among them all beloved, is that God's love for you in Christ Jesus never, ever ends. Well, before I read the psalm, let's uh, pause and pray and ask for God's help. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that today you would remind us and assure us of your steadfast love. Whatever is going on in our lives, whatever stresses or pressures there may be, we ask that you would encourage us with your unwavering love for your people in Christ. And we pray that we might respond with grateful public thanksgiving for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you one day will do. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 136. Let's hear God's word. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, For his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them. For his steadfast love endures forever with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. For his steadfast love endures forever to him who divided the Red Sea in two. For his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his steadfast love endures forever but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever, and killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. For his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his steadfast love endures forever. I guess I could stop right there because I think you get the point of the sermon, don't you? Um, But nevertheless, let's uh, dwell on this psalm together for a few moments. I need a drink after reading it. One of the the great challenges I'd suggest to you to our thankfulness is our forgetfulness. And this psalm, I think it helps us to, to refocus and to remember the God of grace, and the God of steadfast love. It is, as I said, a psalm of thanksgiving. It is bookended by a call to give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. And give thanks to the God of heaven. And the greatest reason we have to give thanks is driven home again and again and again throughout this psalm, the unending covenant love of God. And this psalm wants us to understand that behind all that God has done, behind all that God is currently doing, and behind all that God will one day do for his people, is the steadfast, unending love of God for his people. So here we have the ultimate reason for thankfulness, the the love of God that surrounds his people and never ends. And you know the steadfast love of God, it's a theme that runs throughout Scripture. It's a phrase we see over and over again in the Old Testament, but of course it runs into the New Testament. And perhaps it's given its classic expression And some of the words that we read for our assurance of pardon today from Romans chapter 8, when Paul is reflecting upon the the unbreakable, firm love of God for his people in Christ. And you remember in in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, Paul says, I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what the psalm means when it talks about the steadfast love of the Lord. That never ends. Nothing can separate you, believer in Jesus Christ, from the love of God the Father for you. Nothing, nothing can ever detach you from the firm grip of his love. And if you look at this psalm with me, I think you'll see uh, four aspects of God's steadfast love. And that's uh, what I want us to think about today. Four aspects of God's steadfast love. And let me just mention them to you now. And this will be our roadmap for, for today as we look at this psalm. 
First, God's character is the grounds of his love. Second, creation is the theater of his love. Redemption, third, redemption is the great display of his love. And then finally, fourthly, providence is the persistence of his love. So the grounds of his love, the theater of his love, the display of his love, and the persistence of his love. Okay, in the first place then, in verses 1 through 3, God's character, the grounds of his love. Get started, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The, the great reason for our thankfulness in this psalm, the steadfast love of the Lord, because behind every action of God in creation and redemption and in providence stands the unfailing, unwavering, unrelenting love of God for his people. God's love for you, though, what we need to see from this psalm, God's love for you and God's love for me is not grounded in something in us. That's actually gloriously good news. God's love for his people is grounded in his own good heart. God's steadfast love stands behind God's goodness. That's what this psalm is making clear. His goodness, it is out of his goodness that his heart overflows with steadfast love. And because God is good, you can be sure that his love will be fixed on you forever. Now, of course, our sense of God's love can be tried and tested throughout our lives. We were talking about this with, with somebody during the week. This is, this is actually one way that God seeks, or I'm sorry, Satan seeks to lead us away from God, isn't it? To get us to question the goodness of God. It's what he did in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. What was Adam, Adam and Eve's experience of God? He, he created them uh, and placed them in the garden and they enjoyed face-to-face communion with God. They enjoyed a world without pain and suffering. They enjoyed the work that God had given them to do, to be fruitful and multiply and, and subdue the earth. And then Satan comes in and says, God doesn't really care about you. He, he wants you to think that, but he doesn't actually have your best interests in mind. Don't you understand? God is actually holding out on you. That's why he told you not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Take it and eat it and you'll see. Because in that day, you will be like him. And underlying all of that, what Satan was subtly trying to implant into the mind of Eve was this thought, God isn't really good. Because he understood and he understands that if he can get you to question the goodness of God, you will never believe that God is love. You will never believe that God could love the likes of you. I think if we're honest, many of us have have wrestled with this, haven't we, in one form or another? Questions like, is God really good? Does God really love me? Maybe because of something that's happened to you or some experience you've had or teaching that you've received, something that's been said to you. There is this looming question in your mind, is God really good? Does he really love sinners? I want to just suggest to you as we try to think about that important question for a moment, God answers that question in a variety of ways for us 
But the chief way that he answers that question is in the gospel of his son. And the good news about Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection. Because Jesus is the manifestation, the incarnation of God's goodness and loving kindness. In other words, when you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, you are beholding the very goodness and love of God manifested here on earth. Paul says in uh, Titus chapter 3, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. In other words, when Christ came to live and die and rise for the salvation of unworthy, guilty, corrupt sinners like us, God was displaying his goodness and his love. While we were yet sinners, think about that, while we were yet rebels and haters, despisers of God, going astray, God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to be cursed, and to secure our eternal redemption. The gospel, my friends, is the answer to the question, is God really good? Is God really loving? What does God do? He fixes your eyes upon the cross of Calvary, where we see the goodness and love of God displayed. But, but coming back to this psalm here, in verses 2 and 3, it says more about the, the character of God that I want us to see here briefly. It talks about his utter uniqueness and his unrivaled lordship. The one who loves us is utterly unique and he is the unrivaled Lord of heaven and earth. Verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods. His absolute uniqueness, the psalmist is recognizing. He is the one true God. There is no one other like him. The idols that people constructed and bowed down to are Dumb and lifeless and the idols that we construct in our own hearts and bow down to are dumb and lifeless. God alone is God, the psalmist is saying. He's the God of gods, the only one there is. So he stands supreme over all. And wonder of wonders, dear friends, what's the psalm say? His love, the the love of this utterly unique God is fixed upon you, believer in Jesus Christ. Verse 3, God's unrivaled lordship. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. God rules and God reigns. He rules supreme over all people and all things. And everything and everyone must submit to him because he's the sovereign lord of heaven and earth. And so take the, take the most powerful people alive today. Take the most powerful people who have ever lived throughout human history, and they are nothing more than subjects to him. They are nothing more than creatures who do his bidding and fulfill his purposes. So even as the nations led by such lords to reject God's lordship, what we recognize is that there will come a day when on the day of the Lord's wrath, everyone will submit to his lordship and confess their that their powers, that the kingdoms and the military might and the strategies were nothing more than games. Nothing more than games. So God is absolutely sovereign 
And therefore, when he fixes, think about this in connection to his steadfast love for you. He's absolutely sovereign. So when he fixes his love upon you, what does that mean? That means nothing can ever thwart his love for his people. Nothing can stand in the way of God's love for you in Christ Jesus. Nothing. God holds his people in the grip of his sovereign love. So these opening verses, we are told to give thanks, to give thanks for God's steadfast love. He is good, he is utterly unique, and he is the unrivaled Lord of all of creation. And the gospel says he has fixed his love upon his people in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. It's, it, it's too much to even take in that such a supremely exalted one would love the likes of us. But secondly, let's keep going here in verses 4 through 9. First of all, God's own character is the grounds of his love. And secondly, creation is the theater of his love. We know from Scripture that creation reveals things about God. Scripture tells us that God, uh, creation speaks for God, revealing his character. The created order declares a truth about God to all mankind. You remember the well-known passage in Romans chapter 1 where Paul tells us that God reveals himself in the things that he has made. So when people look at creation... They are without excuse for for rejecting God and therefore justly face his condemnation. So to the world rejecting God, creation reveals the divine nature of God. Uh, It reveals our ultimate accountability to him and it even reveals uh, his wrath against sin and the judgment to come. But this psalm tells us that creation declares the power and wisdom of God. And as a a believer, it does so in a unique way that I want us to think about. If you're a Christian, member of God's people through faith in Jesus, then when you look at the things God has made, psalmist says you see his infinite power and wisdom. The great wonders that he has done and with understanding how he has fashioned the universe. So you see his power and his wisdom on display, and behind the exercise of his power and wisdom, you see the steadfast love of God. So the psalm talks about the wonders God performed in creation by wisdom. He made the heavens, he spread out the earth above the waters, he made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, and the moon and stars by night. For his steadfast love endures forever. Now that I don't know about you, but when you read that, it seems like a strange connection to make, doesn't it? Uh, what, what does creation have to do with God's steadfast love? Well, I think, first of all, we can say that God created in order to display his love. But I want to I think about something else with you for a minute. I think this psalm is teaching us to bolster our confidence and our assurance in the love of God by observing his handiwork. When we look at creation, we we see the wisdom and power of God's craftsmanship. The earth day to day speaks about God's creative power and wisdom. 
And if God is so wise and powerful to, in his might, bring a world into existence out of nothing, and in his wisdom fashion this universe, well, think about it. That should grow our confidence in his love because we see that same power and wisdom at work in redemption. Uh, Christ, Paul tells us in the New Testament, Christ is the revelation of the power and wisdom of God for the salvation of sinners. So the God who in wisdom and might created the heavens and the earth is the same God who in wisdom and might conquered Satan, sin, and death through the death of Christ on the cross. And so when we look at, when we look at the works of God's hands, we, we're reminded among other things, of God's power and his wisdom, the same power and wisdom that he exercised for our salvation. And therefore, when we look at the works of his hands, it, it generates gratitude and thankfulness in the hearts of God's people to the God who in wisdom and power creates and redeems. He creates and redeems and reveals his power and might. And that leads us third to Redemption as the display of God's love. God's character, the ground of his love. Creation, the theater of his love. And third, redemption, the great display of his love. Now we're going to have to run through this in verses 10 through 22. The psalmist points us to two parts of the redemptive story in the Old Testament. So in verses 10 through 16... The Exodus story is recalled. God, uh, in, in his sovereignty, a mighty outstretched hand, delivering his people out of bondage in Egypt. The Exodus. And then in verses 17 through 22, the psalmist recounts uh, the conquest of the land. God redeemed his people from slavery and brought them into an inheritance of their own. He defeated their enemies and led them to a place of blessing and rest, exodus and conquest, saving us from slavery and giving us a home. That's what God does in his redemptive work for his people. So, so while the exodus and the conquest proved to be an act of judgment on the Egyptians and the Canaanites, it was at the same time a display of the steadfast love of the Lord for his people. He exercised judgment on his enemies while he displayed his love for Israel in both redemption and conquest. And what we just need to recognize in passing, dear friends, is, is the Old Testament story of redemption and conquest points us to the greater work that God has accomplished through Jesus Christ. That's what that story was all about. It was a picture of how God, through Jesus, delivers his people from their sins and brings them to a place of rest and blessing. That by his life of obedience, his death and his resurrection, Jesus Christ has triumphed over his and our enemies. And he's won for us a full redemption that is secure. Now, I think we need to notice another lesson, though, from verses 17 through 22, where God struck down the kings that opposed Israel. Uh, to, to redeem his people in love, God struck these enemies down in judgment. 
And maybe this isn't said often enough, but we need to understand that's actually part of God's redemptive work. It's part of God's redemptive work in striking down enemies who are opposed to him and who stand against the people of God. I think here's another lesson for which we need to, to, we need to be thankful. And the lesson is this, that the enemies of God's people will always fail and perish. That is the story of scripture and it is the story of history, dear friends. That's why Paul could say to believers in Rome, Christians who are being killed in Colosseums for their faith and lit on fire as human torches in Nero's own personal garden, if God is for you, who can be against you? And it's just as true for them, dear friends, as it is for us today, that no enemy of God's people can ultimately be victorious. So let's, let's remember that for our own context. The enemies of God's people always fail, always perish. Then finally, in verses uh, 23 through 26, providence reveals the persistence of God's love. So the character of God is the grounds of his love, creation the theater, redemption the great display, and providence the persistence of his love. Verse 23, he, he remembers our low estate. He cares about our weaknesses. And it's not as though he just gets redemption started and then forgets about us. No, he perseveres. He continues to care and watch over his people. And I'm sure as you look back over the last year, can't you see the many ways God has remembered you in your weakest state? Can you not recall the many ways he has remembered you in your weakness, in your troubles, and has, has been tender and compassionate and loving towards you? I know some of you have, some of you have, have entered into well, dark valleys and have been laid low in the dust. But my friends, God has been with you through it all, sustaining you and holding you by his, his rod and his staff. He's been comforting you. And this psalm is reminding us God does not forget his people. He remembers and he rescues for his steadfast love endures forever. In verse uh, 24, he rescues us from our foes, from our enemies. And that's true both spiritually and, and physically. If you're a Christian, think about the spiritual aspect of this truth for a moment. You are locked in a daily, lifelong, spiritual battle. But what's this psalm saying to you? In Christ, God gives the victory. Though sometimes it, it doesn't feel that way, does it? Sometimes in the Christian life, we maybe feel like we're beginning to make some progress and we're growing a little bit in our faith and then we fall flat on our face, take a step back. And sometimes we feel that way. like We're not making progress in the Christian life. But dear friends, this is telling us that the love of God in Christ holds us fast and we press on upheld by his righteous omnipotent hand and in Christ God gives the victory. And so for some of us, it's been a difficult year. But I want you to remember what this psalm is driving home to your heart and my heart today. God's love has never wavered for you. Jesus Christ has been and remains and always will be the perfect and fully sufficient Savior of God's providing. 
for our daily battles, for our eternal life. And in love, God has made provision for us in the wounds of Christ, and he gives us strength by his spirit to win victory over sin. And then notice at the end, as, as we think about all of that, there's this little point, and he feeds, he gives food to all flesh. I love that. <laughs> After recounting all of these great works of God for his people throughout redemptive history, oh, by the way, all the food that you eat comes from your father's hand. And so, you know, this week it's all about food, isn't it? Turkey and mashed potatoes and what other weird foods you're family makes. My mom makes something called brain. Tell me later if you know what that is. It's cauliflower with cheese. Looks like a brain. Okay, I'll just tell you now. Uh, But it's all about food. And let's just remember though, dear friends, that everything we have comes from the Lord. And it comes in abundance, doesn't it? I want to briefly, let me close with Two very quick applications uh, directed at, uh, at all of us. And the first one is this. If it isn't already clear, God wants you, believer in Christ, to be assured of his love for you. That's what this psalm is pressing home 26 times. Is that clear enough for us? God wants us to repeat that refrain again and again And again, to our own hearts, to our brothers and sisters, because it's designed to convince you that everything God has done in the past, everything that God is doing in the present, and everything that he will do in the future is done in his steadfast love for you. Creation, redemption, providence, prove that to you. God shows you his love and all of his works of creation, redemption, and providence. So the theme of the believer's life is this refrain, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. It is the banner over your life. His banner over you is love. That's the first application for us. God wants you to be assured of his steadfast love. But then notice the implication of that. It's the call that comes at the beginning and the end of this psalm. God calls us to be a people of thankfulness. Uh, so let me, just, let me just ask a, a few questions to turn our attention to thinking about this. How, how thankful have we been? And I'm not talking about some sort of begrudged thankfulness that's coerced or forced. I'm talking about seriously, sincerely, Genuinely, how thankful have we been for the incredible love that God has shown us? I think a challenging question I asked myself this week. Does my life convey gratitude or entitlement? Does my life convey gratitude or entitlement? Is it, is it marked by thankfulness or Have we presumed in one way or another upon the loving kindness of the Lord in our lives? If so, the question of scripture that comes right in our face is, what do you have that you haven't received? What do you have that hasn't been given to you? And it's all a gift. It's all a gift from above, from from the life that you live to the family that you have 
to the salvation that you have experienced, to the home that you live in, to the job that you have, down to your daily bread, it is all a gift from God. It comes from our Heavenly Father, whose heart, this song tells us, overflows with steadfast love for his people. And so my challenge to us today is this. Let, let, let your thankfulness overflow to God the God of grace, the God of steadfast love. And may this week and the rest of our lives be filled with thankfulness to our God and Father who in Jesus Christ loves us with a love that will never end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your steadfast love. We thank you that it never ends. And that it will never be taken away from those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see and remember all of the ways that you have loved us and caused us, Lord, to respond with deep, heartfelt gratitude and thanksgiving today and in the days of the uh, rest of our lives and into all eternity. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.